Alright, welcome to another episode of Living and Ultralife. This week I am excited to have Jeff and Angela Jordan as our guest. Wait till you guys hear this story. They're relatively new to the running scene, but they have got quite the story, so I'm really, really excited to go for a run with Jeff and Angela Jordan. You guys ready to go for a run? Yeah. Let's do it. All right, cool. Wish it was a real run. We should be on a run. (laughs) Yeah, just so that you know, when we're recording this, it's a rare 70-degree day in Virginia Beach. In February. In February, and all of us are sitting there going, why do we not have the technology to do this while we're running? We don't, so we're sitting here at the kitchen table, going to have a chat. Let's start with... Who are Jeff and Angela Jordan? Angela, ladies first, so. So I'm a mom of two boys, uh, two teenage boys, 19 and 16. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm a transplant to Virginia. We own our own business. We own an auto repair shop, so that keeps us very busy. You know, running was something that uh, didn't necessarily fit easily into a very busy schedule, so we had to figure out how to make, make that work. All right, let's go to Jeff. Jeff, who who is Jeff Jordan? Jeff is a husband to Angela, father to two boys. Grew up in North Carolina on a farm. My dad learned how to fix everything around there. He started his own shop, and then we made our way to Virginia and uh, brought the shop up to Virginia Beach. And when did you start running? So in January of 2020, Kempsville Run Club started, and I happened, I have no idea how in the world I saw them on Instagram, because I wasn't like a big Instagram user. Um, Happened to see a post, and I was like, wow, like it's just starting, and I could go out and run with them. That would be a great motivator. So I was there for their second ever run, and we started as much as I could. And, you know, you, until you, until you give place to something and put it with purpose in your life that this is important to me, it's easy to kind of push it off. So, oh, I can't make it today or, oh, it's not going to work or whatever. So in the beginning, you know, trying to, trying to get there as much as I could. And then I got him to come out and we knew nothing about running. And we had over the years run a 5k here. JNA puts on some amazing, amazing races in the area. And so they were fun. So to go and see all the costumes at like the Wicked 10K or to go and do Shamrock and, you know, it's really cool race. And oh, the Christmas Town Dash was one of my favorites at Bush Gardens, you know, because you're running through Bush Gardens at right. Christmas time. And so, I mean, we enjoyed those, but there was no training and there was no, it was like, oh my gosh, can we get to the end and not die? Um, my, my running on race day was just that, that was it. There was no running pre-race day. It was, okay, I'm going to do a 5K. And I would go run as hard as I could with my tongue hanging out. Yeah. And I am I would have been one of those people that they needed the paddles out at the finish line because, whoa, what is this guy doing? And then COVID hit and that kind of shut down. And it was like, okay, you come home on the weekends and you're just like, I have to cower in my house and not go out. And so you take comfort in food. So from March to September, it was probably 15 or 20 pounds over a course of roughly six months. And I had gotten to the point where my wedding ring was cutting off the circulation to my hand and I had lower back pain and I couldn't sleep at night because my back, I could never get it like comfortable. And I was constantly trying to stretch it. And I'm like, okay, something's got to get Labor Day weekend. Jeff's parents have a little house in, um, on the water in Carolina. And we had gone down there for Labor Day weekend and we came back and like on the way home, I'm like, 
like I'm I'm at my wits end and I literally I come home and I'm, I'm like I'm getting on the treadmill you guys just unpack it and just put it in the other room and I'll deal with it later but I'm getting on the treadmill like I had to draw the line in the sand literally it was that Monday night and I got on the treadmill and I ran like maybe two and a half to three miles like that was all I could do and it just kind of spiraled from there it went from there to a um a Peloton membership, actually. Peloton does uh, a 30-day free trial. And I'm like, well, this is some. these are some classes. They'll motivate me. And then I just fell in love with that. That kind of took off. And then the Run Club was starting to meet again at that point. And so that's how I got started. That's what put my foot into, okay, we're going to try and we're going to commit to this. And it, uh, oh, I've fallen in love. I've always had an unhealthy relationship with food and lack of discipline with food. And so in middle school, I was chunky, stocky. And then in high school with sports and soccer and baseball, I was able to probably keep the weight at bay and and moderately healthy as far as at least the appearance. Um, And then, of course, as high school sports dropped off, then, you know, you get collegiate intramurals, you know, ultimate Frisbee. Then that changed to bowling and golf, which are less aerobic, less cardio. Fishing. Fishing. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of soccer, a little bit of indoor soccer. But when that stuff went to bowling and golf, those food habits I had just slowly crept up. I was putting on weight, putting on weight steadily. You know, and I'd have a, a few seasons where maybe I would cut back and I would, you know, try to get some weight off. But for the most part, if you zoomed out, it was just a gradual increase until COVID, when COVID hit and just added stress and being a stress eater and already having bad habits and staying up late to get things done and then eating to get that surge of calories. In September of 2020, which is when I hit my peak weight, I was 264 pounds and I would wake up on Monday wondering where the weekend went because I got up and ate breakfast and took a nap and mowed the grass and took a nap, went to church on Sunday, ate a big meal and went into a food coma for the day, and then Monday morning waking up and wondering where the weekend went. Just very lethargic and just kind of drew a line in the sand and say, Angela, I have to do something. I knew I was on my way to an early grave if I didn't do something. Okay, so what changed for you in 2020? So Angela, she had ordered a Peloton bike. She had gotten the Peloton app, which I thought was a super good deal for twelve or thirteen dollars like a month. A month yeah. And you get access without any equipment to all of their training videos. You can stream it on just about any device. But she had ordered a Peloton bike and it came in about the time that I had drawn a line in the sand and said, Okay, I have to do something. And for me, I gave up soda completely day one because I was drinking a two liter of soda every day. And I had seen a couple people that had shown a lot of progress. They were not quite the size I was, but they had shown very steady progress. And they weren't doing a fad diet. They weren't into a yo-yo diet. And I pulled one aside and he said, hey, I'm using this app. It tracks my calories. I've even budgeted for a shake today. Look at my progress. Over the last year, I've lost 35 pounds. And it was this nice linear graph. And he said, you know, Jeff, you're a math guy. You know, if you take in less than you burn, you're going to make progress. And if you force yourself to write everything down in this app, put everything in, and you can scan barcodes, it's so easy to put it in, but if you put everything in and you're honest with yourself, you will see where you need to make changes. And so 
cutting out soda day one, hopping on the exercise bike. I fell in love with the bike. In the first month, I lost 20 pounds. And sometimes, and I, I had pretty much, the, the big thing too was the thought that, the lie that I didn't have time to exercise. So busy. I have so much to do. My to-do list is so long. I'll never get to the end of it. I can't possibly find time to exercise. And that was the lie that I bought into. And I told Angela and I had a talk and I said, look, I have to shift some things out of the way. And one of the priorities has to be exercise. For 30 minutes a day, this hat, other stuff has to get bumped. I don't know what's going to get bumped, but something's got to get bumped. So I would hop on the bike about 30 minutes a day at least and just fell in love with getting the heart rate up and I would get done and I would be raving to her about how good I felt, you know, and after one month I had lost 20 pounds and I told her, I said, I'm going to beat it this time because I am on a glide path where I feel like I'm going to get a handle on my weight with some discipline. And that was about the time when I went out for my first run. She was going out to the run club and I was starting to go out to the run club. Now at that point in time, I thought you ran as hard as you could all the time. So that's what I was doing. I would go out, I would try to hang with somebody and I call them gazelles because they're so fast and they look like they run effortlessly and I'm out there just running as hard as I can. Just I wasn't keep... one of them, by the way. So, yeah, in case you're wondering, uh, Jeff never ran with me because I wasn't one of the gazelles. So. so I would just run as hard as I could just to try to keep up with who I thought and I could. And to be clear, they were probably only running like nine-minute miles. Like, it's not like they were running fast. Oh, at the but time. we thought, like, that was super fast At the time, a 10-minute, 10 10-and-a-half-minute mile, my tongue was hanging out. Oh, but, like 12-minute miles and I was dying. I was running as hard as I could for a mile or two miles or three miles and and I realized that on the bike with how much effort I was putting in now there's some people that just absolutely can kill it on the bike but with how I was riding the bike I would burn about 350 calories in a half hour and I noticed when I ran I was burning 500 calories in the same time so from a standpoint of hey being a time manager Hey, in 30 minutes, I can burn 500 calories running or 350 calories biking. I like running better. And so I really just fell in love with running, being outside. Well, and it was about that time that we both decided that the run club has to be a priority. We will we will just lock the doors and walk away from anything at work if it means it's that we can get to the run club on time and be there at 630 and, and be there to, to because we got so much out of being there with others and running and and we were able to just download all this information from everybody that we were meeting and so there was a lot of motivation there so we decided that is it's a non-negotiable we show up every wednesday night like that's no matter what and so from that point forward it was just i mean just the forward momentum from there for both of us was a really big deal yeah, the Saturdays for us, schedule-wise, since we're closed Saturday and Sunday, Saturdays weren't hard. But Wednesday was like, whoa, getting there at 6.30, that's going to be tough. We'll do it when we can. But it quickly changed to, look, we're going to change our schedule just to make this because it was that beneficial to us. So as your journey began, what happened was you kind of replaced the, the sedentary lifestyle for a very active lifestyle. But also, you guys did something that I think is really, really key. You changed some habits. Talk a little bit about some of the habits, not just the running, but some of the other habits Mm. that you've changed 
And then we're going to talk about how much weight you've actually lost so people can actually go, oh my gosh. <laughs> so the oh my gosh thing. But let's start with what are some of the well, habits? And, and when you say sedentary lifestyle, you have to understand. Now, I was struggling to get 5,000 steps a day, but he would get 10,000 steps walking just from the oh, back to the front. I mean, just 15, back and forth. Easy. But they're not active steps. Right. They're not, they don't, I, I say they don't count for a lot because you cannot overcome a terrible diet with 10,000 steps. You cannot continue eating the same food, but just eat less of it and expect to be successful. You just, it won't, it, because at some point you're going to get to the point where you don't realize you're eating more and more of the same bad foods. The great thing about COVID, normally we would go out and get fast food every day at lunch. So the great thing about COVID was everybody shut down. So that was no longer an option. So, okay, so you're bringing in your own, you're bringing in leftovers now. And I make, a, I would always make fairly healthy food. So we started making some tweaks to the food. We started doing a lot of whole food, a lot of plant-based food. Still, still some meat and some dairy occasionally in there. But that was a big part of it was almost completely cutting out fast food for a long time. I mean, it was, it was a long time where we didn't eat at a restaurant. We didn't eat any fast food. But again, COVID, COVID kind of helped enable a lot of that. And then we always made sure that we had something healthy on hand. So I've always got either a banana or an apple with me. I've always got my water bottle so that I've got something that's not bad for me to drink. So there's always the, there's always the something. And literally I pack this fairly large cooler to take with us every day at lunch. And his latest thing is carrots. Um, we, he literally eats a pound of carrots every day so right good. now. So, <laughs> so you know, bags, you can buy, you know, pre-cleaned bags of green beans and snap peas. And for the longest time, like those were our go-to snacks. So like you can't overdo it on snap peas. It's just... And that's the thing. Some of the foods that really had a, a grip on me that, that I couldn't walk by the shelf at the grocery store without grabbing them and putting them on the cart, apples, vegetables, things of that nature... I thought were bland, didn't taste good, but as I saw where my calories were coming from and I started saying, hey, this is a poor choice. This is a really bad food choice. Let me try to substitute this. As I got away from the soda and away from some of those foods, I found that apples and carrots and snap peas and things tasted incredible. So I think my palate just adjusted and adapted to the point where, yeah, my, my go-to breakfast now is a pound of carrots. I eat a bunch of apples. We need to have our own apple orchard. I'll say that the, the thing with, as we started changing some of those habits and we started exercising, we became so much more energetic. We got so much energy from that. And it, and it doesn't even make sense. It's like, wait, I'm, I'm spending energy. I'm exercising. I'm working out. But when I'm done, I feel so elated about it and I feel so pumped up that I just want to go and do stuff on my chore list. So that time that I lied to myself and said, hey, you don't have time to exercise, I regained all of that time back, probably twofold, into how much more productive I was over the weekend. I was starting to knock out things on my to-do list, things around the house, fixing stuff, instead of just laying and moping around all the time. So that was a huge, huge boost. Well, and, you know, getting up on an early Saturday morning and going out for our long run on Saturdays, and, like, we come back and we're like, wow, I ran, you know, 12 miles today, and it's only 8 o'clock. <laughs> and, like, okay, I'll shower, and by 9 o'clock, it's like... All right, what are we doing today? You know, what's on the yeah. list? And it's like and, we're shot out of a cannon. Yeah. It's just like, hey, let's get this some, some stuff done. So yeah. 
So so, so running running has actually given you more energy than mm. before. Oh, oh by far. By far. Yeah. Living an Ultra Life is brought to you by Forge Glory Athletics. Forge Glory Athletics is a science-driven, client-proven, premier running company that instills strong, introspective pillars through disciplines of movement that award personal growth in multiple aspects of the athlete's life without injury. We must find the light within ourselves before others can follow. Christopher Guerra. So let's talk about your running journey here for a little bit. We know that you kind of started out with 5Ks even before you started taking running seriously, but you've done some amazing things running and not all of them have been in actual races. So kind of tell us your running journey. Well, so for me, so we'll start at the beginning of, we'll start with January, January 2021. I had nothing on my radar as far as I'm going to run some big race. I'm going to run some half marathon or whatever. Uh, we had signed up. I think we were signed up for the Shamrock 8K. That was the next thing. So the Kimpsville Run Club, they have um, on Saturday mornings, it's the six and a half at half past six. So the idea is there's a six and a half mile loop. And in the beginning, you know, I could only do maybe three miles. And then, oh, I stepped it up to five miles and actually, you know, went around the lake. And then I actually got to the point where I could make it all the way around the lake twice and get that actual six and a half miles in. And I, I wasn't dying. And part of that is because um, talking with everybody that we came in contact with about running and how you run and starting to listen to uh, books on running and, and figuring out that, okay, your heart rate really shouldn't be 170 all the time when you run. And so running at a running at a lower heart rate and just, you know, just enjoying that. And, oh, I would absolutely, I would just get lost in either worship music or an audio book, just running around this lake. And, and at the end of it, it's like, wow, you know, six and a half miles, that feels like a really great day. And one of my friends at the run club, she's, she was training for her, for a half marathon. And she was like, looking at some of the, my mileage and she's like, Angela, you could, you could do this with me. It's Memorial Day weekend. You could do this half marathon with me. And I was like, like, I thought she was crazy. Like, cause it's, and it was really, it was her confidence in me and my ability that we could run this together. And cause everything was still virtual at that point. And I thought, well, I'm like, let me think about it. It's still, that distance was not at all on my radar. I really had no desire to run that far. It seemed crazy. Then I got home that night and I'm like, okay, I'm in, let's do this. And I set up my little training plan. And every time I had a new distance that I had never run before, when I ran eight miles and then 10 miles, like the night before, I was so nervous because it was like, can I even do this? But the mindset was, it's just another two miles. It's just another, you've already done this and you know you can do that. It's just another two miles. It's just another two miles. You know, that's 20 minutes. Like it's not that much longer. And uh, the way my training plan was set up, it actually had a 13 mile run in it like two weeks before this actual race with her. And so it was, it happened to be Mother's Day weekend. And so I ran out, I went out and ran my own half marathon, my very first on Mother's Day weekend of last year. So Jeff, for me, I remember with our Kimsville Run Club, which has had a huge, huge impact on us. But uh, on the Saturday morning route, there's a the three mile. The difference between the three mile loop and the five or six and a half mile loop is right there at Woff, turning at Woff. 
And there were so many times where I'd run to the sign and Brian or somebody would ask me, hey, how many miles are you doing today? Well, I'll make a decision at WAF. They're like, no, that's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Don't wait to make your decision there. But, you know, and there were a few times where I did make my decision there. I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to turn it off. But uh, I do remember taking my first turn at WAF and extending it from three miles to five miles and how big of a, a deal that was. And then going to six and a half and, and just slowly building. And the run club with their, you know, their pep talks and at the beginning of the year, Brian pretty much says, hey, you know, no goals, yeah. let's talk about goals. What kind of goals do you guys have? And it's like, well, I, I hadn't thought about goals, but I, at that point I was running up to about 20 miles a week. And I thought, well, let me set a goal of running a thousand miles this year. That sounds like a good goal. And, and let me set a distance of, let me run a half marathon this year. So I signed up for a half marathon in November of that year I or October. Oh, it was for March though. Yeah. But I had signed up for a, a half marathon in, in uh, October and November. And I was just a sponge. When I was done running, I would just ask questions. If there was dead space, I was getting a question in. I was asking people anything I could get. And that's when I realized that, oh, you don't run all your runs at 100%. You're supposed to run 80% easy. That was a that was a light bulb that went on for me. Um, learning that I could run easy miles with lower heart rate, that's when my mileage really started to ramp up. When I would run easy runs, keep my heart rate down, my mileage just shot up. And that's when I was sticking to the 10% rule, you know, not increasing more than 10% a week. Um, we learned about cadence. Cadence, yeah. that's right. Running at a higher cadence can, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but running with a higher cadence can reduce the amount of effort it takes. It can lower your heart rate. It can improve your lap speed. So all of that was kind of coming together. And the Coast Guard announced that they were going to have a half marathon in March in Elizabeth City, which is super close by. It was going to be their first ever. It was going to be on base. And I thought, I talked to some people and they're like, you could do this. You can do this. You can do this. Move it up from October to March. So I got a training plan off of Runner's World or somewhere. And I had already made up my mind I wanted to run a two-hour half marathon. So I was going through the training plan and whatever it said, if it said run two miles at eight minutes and 30 second pace, I was doing like 820. I was like... Whatever it said to do, because it said, do not try to break two hours on your first half marathon. Just don't do it. It's not a good idea. And I was like, no. I, so it, I, it was almost like I had that, that looming fear of failure, but I was like, I want to break two on my first half. So if I do everything according to their plan and just do it a little better. So if it was a distance mileage for the day, I would just bump it up just a little bit. If it was a time thing, I would bump it up just a little bit. And uh, it came, the run club, so the run went virtual. COVID, the Coast Guard shut it down. They said, we're going to run it virtual. And the run club said, hey, let's host you guys running this half marathon. And we had talked to a few people in the club, and we ended up getting five or six people that said, yeah, I'll run a half. So they set up an aid station at the start. They set up an aid station at the turn at WAF, and they had it fully equipped with water and, and everything. And of course, two weeks before, I'm supposed to run 12 or 13 miles before the half. So I go out to run my half two weeks before the race day or the virtual race day. And I ran a one, I think I broke two hours. I broke two hours with that for my training run. And that was my goal pace. So then it was like, well, what are you going to do when it's race day? What are you going to do? So uh, we had one of the people in the club, Olander, 
who is famous for, if you ask him what pace he's running, he'll say, I'm running your pace. I'm running your pace. So he ran with me that half and step for step the entire way. And we had pacers that came out for us. They were going to run two hour pace for the club members. And uh, the pace started out a little quick, I thought. But I was like, wow, this is this is going to be hard because this feels like this is going too quick. But I didn't realize that we were pacing a little fast. And so Olander and I just kind of went at it. And I think we ran right at one hour and 50 minutes. And that was in March yeah. of 21. And it was it was an incredible feel. We had five or six people do the half that day. And it was just a, we had, there were chalk messages on the streets. There were, you know, encouraging messages every, it seemed like every couple hundred yards. It was just so many messages. And it, it was with all the support, every time, every time we passed the aid station, it's just like, it was like power boost. So that was huge for, for me to run a half in March. And, and then you, you set out to run your half. And that was in May. So, yeah. So, so Nicole and I, um, Nicole, who was the one who uh, was running the, the, the half on Memorial Day weekend, she and I ran. And it was just, it was fun. Jeff went out and chalked the streets for us so that we had some encouraging messages. And it was really nice. Her husband and kids came out to help support her. And it, again, it was, you know, it was another one of those virtual races that was supported by the club. And, you know, it means a lot to have people support you and do something crazy and you know we're literally we're running around lake christopher and there's like ladies out doing their walking and they're like what's going on and we're like well you know we're doing a, a virtual half marathon and they're like oh that's so cool around our neighborhood there's a race in our neighborhood <laughs> right? they're like what yeah they did give you weird looks at the aid yeah. station yeah what are you doing is that approved? don't worry is that approved? weird stuff man is that approved by the hoa <laughs> It's all good. So you went from a half marathon, and then was it in the summer that you guys did your accidental marathon that you were? Oh, right. So, that was like August. So the thing about the Kimso Run Club is there's a couple of runners in the Run Club that are, I'll say, ultra crazy. They well, just. But he's talking about the the trip to the border. Well, the way you get there is you you have people who you're thinking, hey, I just ran a half marathon. That's a really big deal. And they're like, well, you know, there's other distances out there. There's marathons and there's ultra marathons and there's 100-mile races and 200-mile races and 250-mile. And it's like, whoa. So with running, that ceiling has never been there, you know, because people around us that we're communicating with on a weekly basis are talking about running some ridiculous-sounding miles. And it's inspiring. And so as we're starting to fall in love with running and we're increasing our mileage and to the point where, okay, a half marathon isn't that huge of a deal anymore. We can run a half marathon every Saturday with the club, you know. Now the club has had the early bird miles. You can run early and then you can run at 630. So you can get a half marathon in and be done at 8 o'clock and be getting a haircut and Mm -hmm. getting about your day. So. Well, so we had a friend of ours who ran, a mutual friend, that ran the uh, Long Creek 60K. And we went out. We thought, well, let's go support him. Let's go make some signs. Uh, Actually, there were three people running that race, if I remember correctly. Mike, you were there. Yeah, Mike. Um, We never saw you. But, (laughs) but yeah, Brian and Stacy were both there. And we went out. Mike made the mistake of changing his diet that week. Well, you know. Yeah, not not a good move. But watching watching, um, the runners come through and, and... 
where we had stationed ourselves, we got to see the first, the top runners, first top five runners come through and just kind of watching them. Like, I'm like, what is this? What is this 60K? Like, that's, that's crazy, we, right? We kind of lucked into it because we had made some signs from the club to root each of you on. It was Brian, Mike, and Stacy, And we had signs for each, each person. And we had some big signs, like a silly sign. But we um, also saw people who were like almost delirious. Like, and they, like, had we had to help point the right way on the trail. Our, I think and, our sign said, ultras, 10Ks just get you to the aid station. Something, something like that. It was yeah. something silly like that. When we showed up at one of the aid stations at first landing, and we weren't familiar with that place at all, and they're like, oh, well, head down the road here just a little bit, and you'll be at a crossover point. You'll catch most of the people. The leaders are just passing there. So we go and set up camp, and we've got these signs. And the runners that are coming by, and some of them, at that point, I think they were probably in 20-some miles in at that point. And some of them were coming by, and it looked like they had all their wits about them. They were super sharp. They'd read the sign. They'd laugh. They'd say, thanks for coming out. And then there were some people that would come by. You could look right into their souls, and it just looked like they were zombies. And they're like, hey, which way do we go? And it's like, yeah, everybody else has gone right across here. I think you follow them. (laughs) And, And it's like, wow, some of them didn't look so good. But... Very inspiring to see people pushing themselves to do something that was even beyond our knowledge of people that even people would do that. But to see them pushing themselves to do this, it was kind of inspiring to see like, hey, what drives you to do that? You know, and it's that that sense of accomplishment, you know, that finish line, whether it's running one mile without stopping. I remember running one mile without stopping, running three miles without stopping, running five, and and feeling like it was it was there was a finish line there, you know, and there was this elation of accomplishing something, and to see people just breaking these huge mileage barriers and just really going for it was just inspiring. Well, and when you you know we talked about goals and and what our goals were from the beginning of the year. My goal at the beginning of the year was seven hundred and fifty miles. Like I, I my goal was still. I want to lose weight. Like that was still the thing. Um, but 750 miles, like I got, I got to 750 miles. I think I was, it was October bef- when I hit that goal. And I was like, well, what now? So, okay. A thousand. Well, I hit that. And then it was like, okay, 1250. So, I mean, that, that was my, it was, it was still all centered around, around weight loss. But at some point over the summer, it was like, hey, there's this eight-hour race where you run three-mile loops around Windsor Castle Park in for eight hours and see how much mileage you can get. And I was like, wow, that sounds that sounds crazy. But before that, Jeff he had gone with a friend of his down to uh, Back Bay. I got invited to run to the Carolina border and back, which at the time was a huge stretch for me. And I showed up and some of the guys that were pulling up in the parking lot, hopping out of their cars are some of the elite runners in our area. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? It was going to be a 20 mile run to the border and back. My whole thought process was make it to the border, whatever effort it takes to get there. And if you can't make it back, so what? You know, just walk back, whatever you have to do. But they had set up all these rendezvous points along the way where even at the faster runners, they were running four or five miles and then they would stop and wait. And they'd run four or five more miles and stop and wait. And there's a there's a visitor center and there's a church in the middle of nowhere in there. that You know, all these picture-taking opportunities. And then when we got to the state line, there were horses there, which is apparently even a rare occurrence. So 
all these stops along the way and I noticed that, oh, when they're stopping to break, they're eating like sandwiches, they're eating food. It's like, man, this is a kind of running I could really get into, you know? This is like, you run a little bit, you have a snack, you run some more, you have a snack, you run some more. And that was a challenge making it back, but a couple of the runners were just encouraging me and they they held back with me and they ran with me. And it was like a big breakthrough for me because that was a 20 mile run, which was way beyond anything I had done. And that set up in the fall, that same person, Angela had wanted to run to the border and back. I wanted to see the wild horses. Yeah. Like that was my, like that was my thought was like, I really wanted to do it. I really thought, you know, let's go. I wanted to go see what back bay is like, like there's no cars out there. You can't, you know, you, the only way to go is I didn't realize you could bike back there, but that didn't dawn on me, but I thought I want to do that. So we set it up and we had a couple, there were six of us or so that left that day. Um, we, we set up five o'clock in the morning. We met, the gates were closed. We couldn't get into Back Bay. So we ended up parking at Little Island Park. So it was going to add about two miles on either end. And it was like, okay, this just went from 20 miles to at least 24. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you're not going to stop short of 26. Like that's like, that's crazy. So, um, we ended up having to run the first two miles on the beach, which was the coolest thing. So it's it's dark. We've all got headlamps on, and we're seeing crabs all over the place. And luckily, it was um, the tide was out, so we had this great beach to run on. And then and then you know then we get into and and it it was just like when he ran it. You know, we stopped every now and then and filled up the water packs and had our snacks and all that. And no, no horses at the, at the border, but we turn around and we come back. Jeff wants to go back out on the beach to run the last two miles. It was high tide at that point. So it was all soft sand and it was terrible. And so, um, I went back out to the road and ran the rest of it on the road, but yeah, we managed to stretch it to get, um, 26.2. So I'm like, okay, first marathon. That's awesome. And the friend that we had run with, he, um, very cool. He made us these little, these little medals, these little wood medals to commemorate our first marathon. So that was, that's probably my, probably my, uh, my biggest, my proudest, uh, medallion from this past year. But so we signed up for this eight hour race. And originally my thought was marathon distance for this eight hour race. You know, I'll go fast enough to just get to marathon distance. And then after I had done it, it was like, well, so I can get to 50K now. So literally it's, it's once you do one of these distances, you're like, well, I can do, I can go further. So that's what happened. We signed up for one of Karen Sanzo's um, eight hour races in, in November. And it was like, okay, I got to get 11 laps, 11 laps. And I ended up with 12 laps. So I ended up with 35 miles and that was pretty, I mean, that was pretty fun. It was, it was a really, really easy introduction to ultra, to an yeah. ultra distance. I always tell people, if you're going to run your first ultra, run it at a timed event. Well, and you, you come around just... to all your stuff, all your stuff's there. So if something goes wrong, you just got to get back to your tent and it, it, like, it's the greatest way to do it. I had volunteered. She had the 10 hour race at the same place. In May. In May. Or was June. It? June. 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 Yeah. Um, several people from the club were running. So I had volunteered to work the aid station for a few hours. That is where I think I've been most inspired is working aid stations at these ultras because you see people that just push themselves to the limit. But the thing that I love, because up to that point, 
everything I had done running, I had been closely tied to my watch. All my runs, timed runs, timing my runs, looking at my pace. You know, when we made the trip to the Carolina border and back, those guys weren't concerned about pace at all. They were just doing the mileage. And that was a little bit of a mental shift for me to see that. But then when I went to the uh, aid station and worked the ultra, there was one guy that would come by the, the aid station every lap and he would sit and chat. And he would just talk about what races are in his calendar, and he would grab something different from the aid station. And Karen has a buffet at her races. I mean, stuff that I would never imagine eating on a non-running day are there on the table. You know, cheese balls and crackers and pickles and pickle juice and gummy bears and Skittles and M&Ms and all these things that I'm like, people eat this stuff when they race? And so this guy would come by every lap which was three or four mile lap, three, three and a half mile lap, something like that. And he would come by and he would just, he seemed super chill talking about his race and how it's going and what races he's done and what he would like. And each time by, he would get something different from the aid station. So around lunchtime, she had got pizzas and she had cheese and pepperoni. And of course, I'm trying to push everybody when they come around, hey, we got pizza. And he was like, oh, great. This guy's like, and I said, cheese or pepperoni? He's like, yeah, give me a slice of pepperoni. So he eats his pepperoni pizza. He takes his time. He eats it right there in front of me. And I'm looking through the results at the end of the uh, race, you know, the next day. And I see this guy finished third. Third in the race. This guy had zero, as far as from his demeanor, he wasn't concerned about where he was at in the podium or not. He was just out there running, having a good time. And with his demeanor and seeing that guy finish third with that kind of a mindset, it was just super inspiring. So that was a big deal. So I think that's why we started looking at, hey, there's an eight-hour race. She runs the same race. They're going to run the loop backwards. It's just going to be eight hours in the fall. <laughs> like that seemed easier It's not going to be as hot. <laughs> you know, that sounds like, and of course, you know, with Mike and Brian and everybody talking, you know, ultras all the time. That was the first ultra we put on our calendar. We also, I mean, we also started following, you know, ultra runners online and starting to watch some of these races. And that was just fascinating to watch how professionals run some of these ultras. And then we kind of pushed our way into coming to crew Brian at the Grindstone 100. So watching, watching that was... Watching Mike Crew Chief. So really like nobody invited us. We invited ourselves. To be it clear, it was our one-year fitness anniversary. It was so yeah. it was it was literally a year later. It was in September, and so we were going to go out and we were going to be trail runners. Like that was going to be, because I don't think at that point we hadn't run any trails. So we were like, okay, we're going to go out to where he is, and we're going to run in the George Washington National Forest and the Shenandoah, and and then when we realized how close we were actually looking to this race, we were like, okay, well let's let's come out and help crew. And so we literally, we closed up work on Friday night and drove out to Swoop, Virginia, which is in the middle of nowhere near Staunton. And we told the Airbnb that we we were going to throw our stuff down and we were going to head right out. And so we literally, we show up at like midnight at um, the North River Gap aid station and it, they're 32 miles in and we're there early enough to see the first runners come through that aid station and to see the lead pack. And it was 32 miles. They were 32 miles in and just watching just runner after runner. And literally just with every person that came into the aid station, everybody got clapped into the aid station and clapped out of the aid station. And that just was like, 
I was just like, wow, that's so great. And there's people just hanging out. They've got a campfire going. There's people just hanging out. They've got like snacks and stuff laid out for all, for whoever they're waiting on. And we're just sitting there waiting for Brian to show up. There's like uh, Christmas lights strung out and there's this mythical unicorn that like leads the way to the trail. And it was just the coolest thing to watch. And so Brian comes in and we, Mike does his thing because we just stand there and look. Like, what do you need? What do you need? Like, we have no idea. We have no idea what's going on. But, you know, whatever we're told to do, we're going to do. So we send Brian on his way and we're like, wow. Yeah, the way that all fell together, too, because it was it was our one-year fitness anniversary. And we're like, look, let's just get away and go find some trails. And it turned to be September. And we search for an Airbnb. And the one that pops up is two miles from the aid station that she's talking about. And it was just like, wow. And it was, the Airbnb was designed, I think, originally thinking that it would be all used by mountain bikers because the mountain bike trails in that area. And the way it all rolled out, it was almost like there was neon flashing lights like, hey, you need to be here. And that weekend was open and Brian was running the Grindstone 100. Mike was going to be their crew chief and, and hey, let's go crew. And to see people, that was probably the most life-changing event that we did as far as running. Yeah. Is to see those people just, I mean, and we're talking grindstone 100 miles. We're talking elevation. And that aid station was at one of the rockiest points of the course. And we just drifted into the woods to look at what they're running on. And we're like, whoa, this is intense. And to see, it didn't matter who you were there crewing for. If, the, if you were there, if anybody needed anything, people were jumping at it to get you what you needed. And that, I think, was the most life-changing event that we had as far as running. Was That was like, okay, I want to be part of this scene. I want to put myself out there and try to do what they're doing. And that community of ultra runners is unlike well, anything and we I've got seen. Well, we got to kind of, we aid station hopped as we went, you know, following. And, and so, you, so you see everybody at 32 miles, and then you see that lead pack. Again, we saw them at 65 when they come back to that same aid station. And then again at, you know, 70 some and then 80 and then 80, 80, 96, 96. Yeah. And so to see somebody grind through that, literally, that was just incredibly inspiring to just see some, but the attitudes and the the mental, I'm going to get to the end and I'm going to, you know, not that anybody was really, I don't know that anybody was like, oh, I got to, I got to. There, I don't think there was a competitive attitude at all. It was no. just, it was a very supportive and it just blew my mind. I mean, there were some runners that came through that had dropped their pacers, which now I found out that's a pretty big deal. I mean, hey, if you're a pacer and you can't keep up, you get dropped. There were a couple so, of, there was a female that came through at that, that last aid station. The 95, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I dropped. And it was a dude. Like she, yeah. she was like, yeah, he couldn't keep up. And like, she, yeah, I dropped him. <laughs> yeah. But, but to see people putting themselves out there and, there was one particular person that came through around 63 or so. She was, I think, the top female that that. Which I race. don't even know if she knew that. I don't even know if she knew. But her but attitude coming in mental, was just... Mentally, she was 60-some miles in. She's top female. And she's joking. She's laughing. Her body's probably hurting. But to see the mental... Uh, fortitude of some of these ultra runners was just super inspiring, super inspiring. So we were excited just to be a small part of that weekend. I really want to go and volunteer at some of these ultra races. Like that's, I'm really excited about adding that this year to, to our, our race schedule, just because 
that's a really fun part to just watch. Because if you stay at an aid station for an eight-hour trip, like, you're just going to see this, like, just progression of people. And granted, you know, some of the shorter distances, it's probably a little bit different, but a 100-mile race, like, that's... And that was part of our goals this year was crewing people and volunteering at races because... I we think got so much out of that. Those those are just, yeah, priceless as yeah. far as... See, and I'm glad you guys are doing that because there's so many runners that just run. And I think they're missing out on what the community is about because it's the ultra running community that, you know, once you've, once you've experienced it, it's, it's, it's like you dream community is supposed to be. This is what, yes. you know, it's like I've always said, you know, if society could be more like the ultra running community, we'd be okay. Oh, yeah. We'd be okay as a society if, if we'd be more like the ultra running community because it is about encouraging each other. It's about, you know, looking out for each other. It's about helping each other. It's yeah. about not worrying about how you're doing, but how somebody else is doing. And I love that you guys are going to jump into mm-hmm. the volunteering and the crewing. I'm looking forward to you crewing Blackbeard, so that'll yeah. be fun. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You guys can watch me suffer. Right? <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> it's my turn to suffer, so that's good. You know, so, yeah. all right, let's, let's just give the numbers here. How much weight have you guys lost in the year and a half since you became purposeful about losing weight? I started at 195 pounds and I'm only, I'm barely five foot four. So I'm not tall and I lost, uh, not, I'm not quite 60 pounds. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I was at 264 in September of 2020 mm-hmm. and gearing up towards September, the one year anniversary, I pushed to get to a hundred pounds lost. So I got down to about 164 pounds and then starting to go to like a maintenance phase, it started. Well, so after that grindstone 100, we that Sunday we went and ran. We did 10 miles on the trail, and we came back a little bit broken. So <laughs> yeah, well, and Jeff ate a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know. we were a little stingy with it, but you know. yeah. But that yeah, was... we came back from that trip like because uh, we we really had no idea that you didn't run all of the trail, you know, you, so we're like, we're running down this trail, like as fast as we can. And we came back and we're like, my knees really didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we had to take a little bit of time off, but we're still eating like we're running these distances, you know, we're running 40, yeah. 45 miles a week. And so we were like, okay, that's not going to work. We have to dial it back a little. Yeah. And oh, as our, so. as our distances increased, of course, you know, we're using calorie counting apps. And, well, but and... we were looking at food as fuel at that point. Right. We, can, we had a completely different mind shift of mm, that really tastes good. I like icing, you know, I like cake it, to, you know, this um, oatmeal is actually going to fuel me better or, you know, this apple is so much better for me or, you know, we started actually looking at food as fuel. So it was a very different mindset of of how we look at food i mean food still tastes good don't get me wrong especially the the last six months with running i never in my life got to a point where i could tell how much the food impacted me until that part of my running where if i ate junk on a junk food the day before run my run were usually the next day was more of a struggle where if I was eating well, my runs were usually much more enjoyable. And I had never, ever gotten that feedback before. I'd never been that tuned in 
to what I was fueling. But I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, if you're a race car, you want the best fuel possible. And if you don't fuel well, you're going to experience some, you know. Well, and I'm listening to all these ultra runners who are vegan and they're talking. And well, and not even just ultra runners, but you're, you know, there's a ton of athletes now that, that follow a plant-based diet. And they're talking about how much easier and how much faster they recover. And so I'm thinking at the, I'm thinking like, well, let's, you know, let's throw out the meat and dairy. And so a fair amount of our diet has gone that direction. We're not a hundred percent in a plant-based diet, but cause it's hard. It's a challenging transition, but. So. so this year, where are you guys heading racing? So Jeff's finished you both finished eight hours. Jeff's got a seashore 50 K under your belt. Good experience seashore. You know, I had set A goals and B goals and C goals for that race, and it was, you know, between five and six hours. And I I beat my C goal, but I don't consider it to be really a success. Not real successful. It was was a bit of a blow up. But But you um, learned. You learned. Oh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I'm going to, this year, if we're talking what's on the plan for this year. Yeah, what's on the plan for this year? So this year, I have the Holiday Lake 50K coming up in a few weeks. And my goal there, there's no time associated with it. It is just a matter of I'm going to monitor my heart rate and I'm going to try for me, I think, keeping it around 155 or lower. I'm going to set an alert and if I go above that, I'm going to slow it down. And I'm just going to try to see if that won't be more effective. So she's running the uh, No Man's 50K and that's in March. Yeah, March 5th. Um, I'm running the 50 mile bull run run. I think they just opened registration for the High Bridge 50K, which is in going to be in October. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking about running that one. That one's a kind of pretty tame. It's an old railroad, and it's a pretty scenic um, area, but not a lot of elevation. So we're thinking about doing that together. Seashore 50K, I have a, a redemption run with Seashore 50K in the fall. I haven't, I haven't technically decided if I'm doing that one or not. I had so much fun volunteering. I kind of want to volunteer again, but... That one make that one might be on my race calendar. I don't know. We'll see. And the Windsor Castle eight hour in the the winter leading up to Seashore will probably. So I was kind of thinking that I'd have five ultras on my calendar this year. So that would probably be my five. Okay, so let's wrap this up. You guys are sitting down, brand new runner in front of you. Mm. What's the one thing that you would tell that runner? Slow down. I would tell people, you know, that you can do it. Whether it's running that first mile without stopping or whether it's running four and walking one, doing five-mile segments, you can do it. Be consistent. If you have have a bad day or if you slip up on your nutrition or your eating, keep going in the right direction and just be persistent and stay after it. And you will see gains. You will see progress. So that they can do it, it's possible, and just to be consistent. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Living an Ultra Life. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time on Living an Ultra Life.